Hi, and welcome to Talking Startups at NYU. I'm your host, Giovanni Fume. This is going to be a series of conversations I have with entrepreneurs from across our university, whether they be alum, students, or professors. And I really want to look at the human aspect of entrepreneurship. I really want to dig into how behind any new startup is a display of the full human emotional spectrum because of the roller coaster like nature of such an endeavor. This week I'm talking with Jonathan Teller, the founder of the beauty products company EOS. And this is actually kind of a more technical conversation than I tend to have. It was actually really interesting because this is the first CEO of a very large company that I talked to. And so we really dug into the details of what it means to take a commodity like lip balm, for example, which they became really famous for turning into a semi-luxury good by rehauling its design and branding. Uh, they're famous for a what looks like a spherical lip balm. So we really get into the details of building a big company, growing it, and maintaining its position in the market as consumer behavior changes around it. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for asking me to, to join. So I uh, today really want to focus on branding. My analysis of EOS has been that branding has been really one of the key elements of your success. So where I would like to start is at what point did you think, okay, I see room in the market for taking a commodity like lip balm, redesigning it and making something that people can have a different emotional connection with and elevating it beyond its previous commodity status? Well, actually, well, we started developing the shave cream first. Okay. Because to us, that was the one of the most obvious categories where there was zero innovation in women's sh shaving, and it was the most undelightful experience, and there was the least amount of thought in terms of how do women shave. Where do they shave? What do they want from a shave product? What should the can be like? There was just none of that. So the first product that we launched nationally with was was the lip balm. And when we looked at lip balm, we saw that there were there were opportunities in the marketplace because of the lack of differentiation. If a woman were to reach into her purse, she wouldn't be able to tell between um, the brands of lip balm that she might have. She couldn't even differentiate it relative to her lipstick. And the actual experience of putting lip balm on was not considered by the, the, the people who made these products. So we saw an opportunity. I saw an opportunity to create products in different categories and these were the first two, lip and, and shave, that could bring delight to the daily routines um, that had otherwise been lacking. EOS first came into my consciousness actually in the Miley Cyrus video. And I think it's kind of surprising that I remember that without having to even research it because I think the design is quite striking. Mm -hmm. what, was, what was the process like designing this? And then maybe you could tell us about how you understood that you had what was going to be your best version? When we started to explore lip balm, we knew that we needed to do things differently. If we didn't have something that was going to be different and better, then consumers might notice us, but then they wouldn't care beyond that. So we thought about how can we improve on lip balm? And a couple of things became important to us. One was that we felt it was important that this product be 
uh, easily identifiable, both visually and, and physically from a tactile standpoint. We ended up looking at a lot of different shapes. We thought, well, perhaps we should do something that would be a square. Perhaps we'd do something that was going to look like a pill. But we knew it was going to be bigger and not necessarily a tube shape. And we ultimately thought that something round was more aesthetic. And uh, you know, we had this brand name, EOS, which stands for Evolution is Smooth. So it's something that we had to manifest in multiple ways. So squares with hard edges weren't going to work. And um, we took a design that we liked, and we had a sculptor come in and sit with us, and we directed the sculptor to make it a little bigger, make it a little smaller. We did a couple of versions of what became the lip balm that we have today, and we just felt, how, do they, how does it feel, and how does it look? And ultimately, it was just based on our reaction to the sculpting and holding the product that resulted in a model. And then from that model, we made some further tweaks, both for, for aesthetics and for engineering, and ended up with what we have today. Did you realize at the time that you had something? We didn't know what we had. We, we liked it a lot. We yeah. were excited about it, but we hadn't done any consumer research. And we did, I mean, we actually, the only consumer research we really did was after we had committed to the design. Uh, shortly before we launched, we had had uh, some people who work in the office invite some of their friends for pizza and, and just ask them what they thought. And we got a great response, which was a relief, but it was still you know, 20 friends. We started to get positive reactions when we went to Sundance for the film festival, and we participated in a gifting suite. So there were, they bring celebrities into these suites, and uh, we had some celebrities trying the product. They had seen it for the first time, and they were uniformly responding really positively, and that was a very good sign. And, and not just celebrities, but anyone who, who saw the product seemed to be very excited about it. But when we developed this product, we also developed the stick because we didn't know that this was going to work, and we thought that people might, consumers might find the sphere too different. So we, we had the stick product as well. And as we started to show it to the retailers and as the, the press started to pick up on the sphere lip balm, we saw that there was much more demand for that. Um, and ultimately, it, it only became truly obvious to us once the product was in, in the market and we started to see sales. So far as brand equity goes, how much do you think lies in the recognizable design and how much in the name EOS itself? Well, I think, I think there are more consumers who recognize our design than there are consumers who know the name, although it has changed. So in the beginning, people only could only recognize the design and no one knew what an EOS was. Um, and now we do um, consumer research and we know that awareness of the brand is much higher. But ultimately for us, what's important is that a consumer can recognize enough cues that they can identify us as a product that they'd like to use. Um, that's, that's the most important thing. One of the reasons why I ask is because I think what's valuable in the brand equity is that, let's say you go to a Dwayne Reed and you see the different uh, lip balms, so you might be naturally inclined to buy this one. How well does that transfer to online? And then... How well would that transfer in the long term if, let's say, shopping through Alexa became more popular, where they don't have interaction with the visual at all? You know, fundamentally, the from an in-store experience, a lot of purchasing of products like these are um, purchases are made um, on impulse. Mm. So consumers will respond to whatever they see in the package in the store. 
and it may be that they recognize something from um, something that they've seen before that prompts them to buy it, or it may be just purely, hey, I've never seen that before. That looks interesting. I, I want to get that. And well, when we look at online, it is a different uh, consumer journey. And for products like ours, which are a relatively low price point, the issue with online in terms of online being a, a significant part of the market is that the fulfillment costs uh, for the consumer, the, the shipping costs, mm. tend to be a hurdle. Yeah. And if you're relying only on voice ordering, then the challenge becomes, in general, when you're using Alexa, you're ordering based on replenishment or um, based on a specific want as opposed to uh, impulse. So I think there are going to be, even as um, e-commerce grows in importance, there will always there'll be just different um, ways to address different um, consumer mindsets. Yeah, so how do you mitigate that loss of the passerby consumer? Do you try to create more brand loyalty with the core consumers? There are certainly ways. I mean, we do this now where if you go to a, if you go to a retailer website or you go to a, an e-commerce platform, there are plenty of opportunities to um, essentially buy website uh, positioning similar to the way a lot of retailers sell their in-store space. So mm -hmm. they've just essentially shifted it. So where some retailers might charge for um, a placement at the checkout by the cash register, uh, it's the same thing where you, if you want to get a space on the homepage, you can pay for it and you can get that. Um, but a couple of things. So right now we're not seeing a significant shift in the U.S. to, um, to say, you know, ordering from Amazon Echo um, relative to any other uh, channel. Mm. We see, we've seen a lot of uh, shift to e-commerce in, in Asia and China, actually. It's been very significant. But ultimately, we, like any brand, certainly want the consumer to identify with us, and we want consumers to want to use our products uh, again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And that's because consumers are very smart today. Um, they've got so many resources available to them. They do research. And you need, as a as a, as a brand, you need to deliver not just on the product and um, not just on brand recognition, but you need to, to, to deliver on information that the consumer is finding more and more valuable and is demanding more of, such as what are the ingredients in your products? What do you do as a brand? What do you, what do you stand for mm -hmm. as a brand? They, they want to experience the brand through different forms of social media, and there's a much more of a sort of three-dimensional relationship with the brand. So if you're, you're developing that, then wherever the consumer goes, you need to be there as she is there um, in advance of her being there so mm -hmm. that when she's looking for you, she'll find you. And is there any concern that like some a company like Amazon can bring back the commodity? A company, for example, like Duracell, they're in big trouble because if you say Amazon buy batteries, it's going to send you the Amazon batteries. But how concerning is that for you? I, I mean, for us, we've never, we've always thought of ourselves as not competing with the commodity products mm. because if you're focused on, and there always is a consumer who's focused on um, price, basically, which is what you're alluding to, then um, that's not the consumer that we've ever gone after because our products cost more than the cheapest lip balm. And there's, 
there are more choices or more there are more there's more that's going into the consumer's decision to buy our product relative to uh, a basic lip balm. So there'll always be whether it's in for us whether it's in I mean in any of our categories there'll always be a consumer who just who just doesn't care mm. and that that's fine. But then there's there are a lot of consumers who care a lot, and those consumers aren't. I don't think those consumers are going away. So. Um, it, it goes back to we had pri- we've had private label that not only is uh, has there been private label in the in the marketplace that is just inexpensive lip balm, but we've had private label lip balm that is um, uh, in, in a shape that's very similar to ours, and those products haven't done haven't done as well. Uh, they've not done well at all, really. And so for us, that just shows that it, the consumer, our consumer, is not a consumer who is buying based on price or just based without any thought because the the elements that we're bringing are product are elements that matter to a lot of people but we recognize that they're they're not going to matter to everybody so i know for example that in fashion uh big brands are dying the death of a hundred cuts so many more new labels are popping up and they have a tiny market share but that erodes at the bigger guys Do you think the big brands are at risk from the small brands? Like, is the long tail becoming more interesting in beauty products? Yes and no. I think that certainly the new smaller companies are much more agile than the bigger companies. And a lot of the the true innovation is coming from them because the challenge the big companies have is they, they are often so big that they have to be very careful about their, where they invest because it has to be a big enough return for them to justify the allocation of resources to something new. And they have shareholders that they have to report to, and they've got you know, these quarterly earnings. So a lot of them talk long-term. The reality is that they, they all have to, to manage in, a, in the short term. And also culturally, they're very big companies that have a lot of uh, good infrastructure, but it's also hard to circumvent all that. So You're a big company. You've got supply chain um, in expertise in certain areas. If someone wants to develop something that um, can leverage some of that expertise and using some of the existing supply chain, they'll probably do that, which gives them some efficiencies, but it may limit some of the scope of the innovation. So they fundamentally, the big companies fundamentally, are limited in their ability to innovate to the same degree that the uh, that these new smaller companies can innovate. That said, the these the big companies also have uh, typically much more in terms of sales in any of their legacy brands than um, a lot of these small brands do combined. But what you're seeing is that a lot of the legacy companies are buying these small brands, you know, and it's it's probably the right way to 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 do it is that they're letting the innovation happen through these smaller brands, and then at a point at which it becomes. Um, something that they can take that brand and expand it and make it much bigger, or if it fills a hole for them in terms of some expertise, whatever it might be, they're jumping on that. And we've seen it. I mean, Walmart's been buying a lot of small e-commerce retailers in addition to Jet that aren't necessarily an obvious fit, but they're buying them for what, what seem to be strategic reasons. So you see the same thing in the personal care world. I don't think that the smaller brands are ultimately going to pose a huge risk, but you know, a small brand eventually can become a bigger brand. And you know, we came out of nowhere and have become a leader in many of our categories. 
and have caused the competition to respond. And some of the competitors who were in the marketplace when we entered the market are no longer really in the market. Mm -hmm. So they, on a, th those brands that were part of bigger companies, had, had to exit because they couldn't keep up. So it's not an existential threat, but there are certainly the, the smaller companies do pose an inherent threat in the context of being able to create really relevant innovation. And what you're also seeing in the e-commerce world is for e-commerce only brands, they're able to innovate at a much faster pace and they don't have the constraints of the physical retailer shelf. So the retailers typically will reset their shelves a couple of times a year. There's only so much space on the shelf. E-commerce retailers, they can put as many products as they possibly want on the website and they can turn those products around as quickly as they want. So the challenge really starts to become as consumer expectations about innovation are shifting because of what they're seeing on e-commerce, to what degree does that further impact the ability of the more legacy brands that haven't really cracked e-commerce um, to be able to compete successfully? Mm -hmm. So what you'll probably see is some of the bigger brands eventually starting to do more in the e-commerce world with products that may or may not exist in the brick-and-mortar retailers. Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming. This was a really fascinating conversation. Well, thank you, Giovanni. I enjoyed it. Thanks.